the standard is when we approve something how much confidence do we have to say that this is what the drug is going to do for a particular patient so then as people who are experts in using real world data i guess the onus lies on us to quantify what is this variability in our estimate of how well the drug works or if we are comparing it to a standard of care or another treatment arm which is used as a control Welcome to Real World Talk, a podcast that brings together healthcare leaders to discuss the importance of real world data in accelerating drug development and improving cancer care. Real World Talk is brought to you by Coda, a company that combines oncology expertise with advanced technology and analytics to create clarity from fragmented and often inaccessible real world data. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Real World Talk. I am your host, Zoe Lee, and today I am joined by three of my esteemed colleagues here at CODA to discuss a very significant document that was released by the FDA. The FDA recently released a document describing guidance for how to use real world data when it comes to regulatory submissions. And this is a highly anticipated guidance document, I think, by everyone who is related to the real world data world, data providers, sponsors, clinicians, research consortiums, anyone who is involved in this ecosystem has definitely been looking forward to this. And so today we are going to break this document down and really analyze it and talk about what this means for us in this world. So... To begin, would love to have everyone who is here introduce themselves, starting with CK. Zoe, it's great to be here with you again. My name is CK Wang. I am CODA's current CMO. I essentially oversee everything medical and clinical. Great. And Laura? Hi, good morning, Zoe. I am Laura Fernandez. I am one of the newest hires. I am the senior statistical director overlooking research and life sciences, uh, mostly about the stats. In my previous life, I my last job was at the FDA. And so I'm excited about how we can uh, use real-world data in the context of uh, clinical research, especially in clinical trials. And so I'm excited to see uh, how best we can use COTA's data in doing that. Awesome. Thanks, Laura. And Drew? Hi, Zoe. My name is Drew Belli. I'm the VP of Research and Quality at CODA. I partner very closely with CK and Laura to manage our internal and external research partnerships, as well as the oversight of our quality management system. I share Laura's enthusiasm for this guidance document, the release of this guidance document, particularly as it relates to sort of the practical translation of these recommendations into, you know, CODA as a, a real-world data provider. So very excited for the guidance and this discussion. It's great to have you all here. So jumping right in, right? FDA releases this guidance and maybe a bit of history and context here, right? 21st Century Cures Act was released at the end of 2016. That was very much so a landmark event in terms of starting to incorporate the use of real-world data and real-world evidence into regulatory submissions. Even though that was released, it didn't really go down into the detail of how one might go about using real-world data in these submissions. And so I think in these intervening years, We've seen various levels of adoption between different sponsors used in different ways 
sometimes more so as real-world data is more so contextualizing information. Sometimes it is actually used as an external control where you know, patients are actually matched to your clinical trial arm. And so there's a range of ways in which real-world data has been used. But there's still been a lot of open questions, I would say, about you know, what is the more specific guidance on how to use? How do I select my data source? Right? How do I actually analyze this? How do I present this in a way that is you know, sensible in the context of our clinical trial, but also meets the rigorous standards that the FDA sets for approvals? So then earlier this month, the FDA released, I should highlight, draft guidance. So this is not yet finalized, and it is draft guidance around the use of real-world data in submissions. And this is governing not only oncology, I should say, of course, at CODA, we are only focused on oncology. This guidance document applies to many broader disease areas than just oncology, although we'll be talking about this mostly in the context uh, of oncology where we work. And as a summary for our readers, right, this document covers many areas. But if I had to summarize, I would say, firstly, it talks about how to select a data source. How is this data source relevant to your needs? Then it talks about how do you kind of verify your data, right? How you verify the ascertainment of the data and any derivatives that come from that. And then there is also a section to talk about quality. How do you make sure that you are ensuring quality in your data? And how do you also document that from a procedural standpoint as well? So those, I would say, are the three main sections of this guidance I think all very welcome, as everyone here has said, right, to be able to understand what the FDA's perspective is. But I will say that one big, you know, question that has, I think, really been top of mind for everyone is there is what is the gold standard, right, and kind of theoretically the ideal state of what we would like rural data to be. Then there is the reality of what we're able to actually get out of real world data, when you think about all the different idiosyncrasies from, you know, actual real world physician behavior to how events are documented and then how they are abstracted, right? It is not a perfect world. So, you know, does the guidance give us more insight into how to reconcile these two different areas? You no, know, Zoe, I think that's a great question, and you provide a great context for this draft guidance. And I think as we talk about this topic and this document is the fact that we need to emphasize that this is still a draft guidance at heart. I think that you essentially, you know, the question you're asking is essentially the question that is that is facing the FDA, right, is how do you bring together, you know, these two very different sources of data, one on one hand, clinical trial data, and one hand, the real world data that is generated under uncontrolled circumstances. And I think that this draft guidance, you know, shares with the audience, you know, what the FDA is you know, thinking about and how they conceptualize, you know, the real world data, right? They acknowledge full in the very beginning of this draft guidance that real world data is not like clinical trial data. But at the same time, it is the FDA's responsibility, right, to make sure that any data that is submitted to support a new regulatory filing or actually a subsequent filing as well, that it is, you know, fit for use and fit for purpose, right? Because at the end of the day, the FDA has to make big decisions, 
right, mm-hmm. about new agents that can impact people's lives. And so I think that while this document doesn't clearly tie clinical trial data, you know, to real world data or make that, you know, tie to make them, you know, basically the same, right, that it helps us nonetheless to get there. Yeah, I think this document, albeit still at somewhat of a high level, goes a long way to, you know, providing a framework for how we can close the potential evidentiary standard gap between real world data and clinical trial data. Clinical trial RCT data has been the gold standard for you know, regulatory decision-making, comparative effectiveness for good reason, because of the significant rigor that's applied in study design and data collection, right? So the reliability, the internal validity of results is extremely high. Now the external validity could be low because those clinical trials might not be representative of the broader population, Therein lies the implicit value in real-world data in reflecting that. Now, as CK said, because of the uncontrolled environments in which that data is captured, there's the potential for significant variability, right? And that leads, you know, as we've discussed at CODA, you know, for us to need to develop methodologies, right, whether it's data collection or analytical or study methodologies to help to control for that potential variability, right, to give confidence in the produced results. And I think that's what the FDA in this sort of preliminary guidance has issued and helps for the real world data industry to really formulate our thinking moving forward. Yes, I agree that the guidance does provide a little background on how real world data can be used. But the way I see the guidance is that it tries to cover all kinds of different aspects of how real world data could be used in clinical research, you know, not just clinical trials. And so if you think that clinical trials is at the apex of like evidentiary standards where you have to demonstrate substantial evidence of effectiveness, you know, safety and effectiveness, but the guidance covers other aspects of clinical research too, you know, so you could use real world data for other kinds of approvals. You could use real world data to show natural history of disease progression. So depending upon where you want to use real world data, I suppose the standards will be much more higher much more higher standards will be expected. So in terms of clinical trials, definitely, you would have to meet the rigor of having an audit trail, the rigor of being able to look at individual patients, to be able to know everything about, you know, a complete profile in terms of whether they had all the covariates measured correctly. And then as reviewers who in my past life working at the FDA, we are very particular, you know, about looking at individual patients. We actually look at the data and we see if a patient was correct coded for a particular outcome. So we do look into individual patients. And so it would be if we are planning to use real world data for clinical trial approval for a marketing approval, then those standards would be much higher. And I think the guidance is outlining what kind of rigor would be expected depending upon where you want to do, you know, whether you want to do clinical trials or you just want to use real world data to figure out what is the appropriate mean and the standard deviation for say in borrowing, you know. So depending upon where you rely on the spectrum, you would need different levels of rigor. So Laura, you know, I think it makes a lot of sense, right, to contextualize the use case. And so to your point, right, let's take the use case of using this against, you know, clinical trials right, where we are really looking at the highest levels of rigor. You know, do you think it makes sense to hold real world data to the same standards 
as a clinical trial, where a clinical trial is prospective, right? You design a protocol, you execute on it, participants, you know, know what they're signing up for. So they know, for example, they're, you know, they have to come in for visits at XYZ days, they know they have to come in for tests at XYZ days, right? Whereas real world data is a retrospective reflection of a patient's journey, where, for example, they might not have prescriptive testing at a certain time point because their treating physician felt that it wasn't necessary and wouldn't impact their treatment in any way. So it doesn't make sense, right, to hold them to the same standards. And also, is it feasible to do that? So actually, the question is not whether you should hold real world data to the same standards as clinical trials. But the question is, when you approve a drug, you know, when you approve a drug and you put it in the market, a patient would pay money either out of pocket or through insurance, you know, and would expect a certain amount of drug efficacy and safety. So what we are actually holding the standard is the drug that is approved doing what it is purporting to do, you know, is it doing what it's supposed to do? So if a drug says that, yes, if you take my drug, your overall survival, you will live longer by a year, you know? So how confident are we in that estimate of saying that, yes, this is what a drug is going to do? So that is what the standard is. The standard is not about the data source. And so it doesn't matter whether the data is coming from real world data or from a clinical trial. You know, the standard is when we approve something, how much confidence do we have to say that this is what the drug is going to do for a particular patient? And I think that is the evidentiary standard, which is actually dictated in law. So then as people who are experts in using real world data, I guess the the onus lies on us to quantify what is this variability in our estimate of how well the drug works or if we are comparing it to a standard of care or another treatment arm which is used as a control, you know. So it lies upon us to figure out what is the best estimate of the drug activity in the real world. And so that is what we're trying to get at in a clinical trial. Does it make sense? It does. It does. And CK and Drew, I'd be curious your thoughts on this. I mean, you two have both long had your hands deep in all of the details of real-world data and CODA's real-world data in particular. Yeah, Zoe, I think this has been challenging for me, right, both as a oncologist, right, who have enrolled patients in clinical trials and have had to abide by the clinical trial protocol in terms of patient follow-up and documentation. And then now, right, as somebody who's been working in the world of real-world data and seeing and understanding, right, both the value, but at the same time, I would say, you know, this uncontrolled nature of real-world data. And also from my regular practice, right, understanding how oncologists practice. And, you know, having all that in my back pocket and trying to bring them all together, you know, at the end of the day, I think that I am not sure how the pieces fit together, or at least well, right? So to speak, as you highlighted, I think we all understand that clinical trial data was generated under very controlled circumstances, right? And real world data has not been. And that has actually historically been cited as the value of real world data, right? Is that despite the actual, you know, data that was generated from a clinical trial is, you know, how generalizable is that data, right? To an uncontrolled sort of, you know, 
population and circumstance. And so, but now by imposing all of these expectations on the performance, so to speak, of real world data is I wonder, right, whether or not we are now being asked to create a controlled version of real world data. Now, I think this is important to differentiate too, right? That back to what Laura highlighted, you know, real world data can be used and has been used for many different purposes, right? I think the bar or the expectation or threshold, right, for real world data is not as high, right? And, you know, when it's used to provide context, right? A historical context on a disease process versus, you know, being used to support a single arm trial, right? Which is what this draft guidance is referring to. And I will say that after reading the draft guidance many times over, I still don't have a good answer to this question. And I think that this probably ties back to your initial question, Zoe, right? Is, you know, has the FDA, by putting out this draft guidance, essentially shown us, right, real data companies and sponsors, you know, exactly, you know, what to expect and what to do. And my answer to that question, though, is, is, is a resounding no, because I believe the FDA has paved the road to a destination, but we're still missing that last stretch of the road. And I think that's where the next year or so, I think we will see how that works out. And, it, and I, I frankly am you know, very excited about all of the discussion. Yeah, and Zoe, I think back to your question, I think the, and to Laura's comments, the, it's not so much the same standards as, you know, RCT data, but it's standards, right, in general, right? And I think that's using real world data as it's currently being used is relatively new application. And this ties to the heart of the fit for purpose concept. And that's what Laura was saying, natural history studies, other historical uses of real world data. Now it's being used really, you know, in the heart of regulatory decision making. And with that needs to be standards to ensure the reliability of results. To CK's point, there's a distinguishing between that concept, which is very important and assuring standards from CK's point, which is if you go back retrospectively and apply RESIST criteria to a scenario in which an oncologist didn't use that criteria in their assessment of response, and then you put a different response assessment or assign a different response assessment or outcome to that scenario, it's irrelevant because the treating physician used whatever information was at his or her disposal to subsequently treat that patient based on his or her response assessment at that time. So applying the same criteria, which would be resist in the real world setting, you know, might not be practical or frankly impossible, certainly retrospectively and prospectively, there's obviously significant hurdles there as well. But, you know, to Laura's comments, ensuring the reliability of the results such that you can adequately compare it to what's produced in an RCT is what we're trying to accomplish. And I think what this guidance is getting at, there's just you know, sort of that fine line that CK was highlighting. And, and I think, you know, to his point, this gets us significantly far down the road to trying to establish those standards, but there is still a missing gap. And I think, you know, it's incumbent upon us as real world data partners to try to help finish that bridge, right? To stick with the analogy, like we've built it so far, but we need to now translate and internalize this guidance and, and think about what we can do as partners to help further along these recommendations, right? And translate them into the more practical issues or challenges that we all face. Right. Yeah. And I think a big part of this 
last piece of the path, right, or the bridge that we've been talking about is how to operationalize what has been put forth in the guidance. And I think that can happen at a macro level, but it also happens down into the very small details as well, right? For example, if we're trying to collect a certain molecular marker, right, how do you actually operationalize collecting that, the interpretation, right? Which time point do you use? Which time point is the relevant one to be including in the analysis? So, you know, can you talk a bit about how at least CODA has approached operationalizing these things and, you know, what you all feel is very important to get right in the process of trying to operationalize this? Going from the very, you know, clinical perspective of how do you translate something that has a very clinical definition into something that can be coded in data and tell that clinical story, but in a very structured way. It is a really challenging question, you know, and I think the guidance specifically, I think differentiates a little bit between sort of the specification and the epidemiological uh, considerations within a given study design, and then also the data source considerations like what CODA has, right? There's significant rigor that we need to apply at the point of data collection to ensure the consistent capture of data elements, right? That can then be used in a study. And one of the things that the you know FDA calls out is the key, the importance of pre-specification and the other relevant study design elements, like the time period, the data source relevance. So there's sort of this longitudinality of events within a given use case of real-world data for regulatory decision-making spanning all the way from when we at CODA would collect it to when our partners would use it in a study and everything in between. And so I think this really is the true challenge of translating this guidance and recommendations as CODA as a real-world data partner, and I'm sure other real-world data partners have their own specific models in which they're operating, right? And we're trying to achieve standardization as an industry, and therein lies the challenge. How do you take piece people, uh, in our case, organizations that are moving, certainly might have similar overlaps in some scenarios, but also differences, and put it into, you know, sort of a, a more uniform operating model. And that's the challenge for the FDA, and I think sort of the foundation for the release of this guidance to help close that gap across partners. And so we need to internalize it, recognizing that there's always going to be sort of inherent differences, given we have different practice settings that we might partner with, you know, given that there's differences in our, you know, data capture systems and our data models, as an example. So it's really important for CODA, you know, as we've done to set up really standardized data dictionaries for each, you know, cancer type. The data dictionaries outline how we collect it. That helps to translate from conceptual to operational definition, as an example, which is something that's highlighted in the guidance. So all of these considerations are really important. And the long and short of it is that it's really challenging. So I would like to add to what uh, Drew said, and that is exactly true, you know, so in the sense that there'll be different standards based on different data sources. And what we need to do is actually be consistent in what we're doing, you know, so at least we can claim that when we see a particular event happening, this is how we have consistently done it for all the patients. 
And so having those standards in place will give us a good sense of what would be the estimate of the treatment effect and how variable it is based on the way you have consistently coded or based on the way you have consistently uh, tracked it, you know, in your system. So I know we are doing that at Kota, you know, we have this consistent, we have these trainings that we have done for our abstractors and we have processes in place that we know exactly how certain events are coded and fed in our database. And so I think that is something that would be asked of, you know, if you plan to use this data for a particular, uh, say, a trial approval, then this is something that would be looked into when you're auditing the data. And so I think that is very important to keep yourself on track on how the data is being used. To add on to what Drew and Laura just highlighted, I think one concrete example of how we execute here at Coda, right, is let's take a very simple concept, date of death, right, that, you know, we think one would assume that, you know, collecting date of death should be quite simplistic. But we know that, you know, from our experience, right, in real world data throughout the years is that it's not so easy. And so as a result, we know that there could be information that's missing, right, in the clinical documentation when it comes to date of death. Therefore, we have supplemented clinical documentation with third-party sources to help supplement that because we know that by doing so, we will most likely capture the most number, right, of, you know, dates that's out there. Whereas if you just rely on one source, you're probably going to miss quite a bit. Yeah, exactly. And I think with these standards, right, should we be working towards industry level standards as opposed to just you know, company specific standards as well in terms of how we collect this? I think some, right, to, to CK's point, right, date of death, I think is something that most data vendors have, you know, really use the same approach, right, where we do look at third party sources and, you know, try to gather as much of that information as possible to increase our completeness in that data field. So I think there's relatively good alignment on that. I think there are some other data variables that maybe have less alignment in terms of how it is collected or how it is interpreted. And is that something we should be working towards as an industry? I think the answer is yes. I think that prior to this draft guidance, I would say many companies that have access to real-world data or uh, supply real-world data largely develop their own approaches, right, to collecting this data. And now I would say in the post-draft guidance era and day, we have a clearer path, right? And we now have a better understanding of what is expected of the data. And I do think that we will see some more, I would say, standardization, so to speak, going forward. There have been historic collaborations, really, that would have helped to inform this guidance and certainly CODA's operations as well. So the Duke-Margolis Real World Evidence collaboration, the Friends of Cancer Research pilot projects as examples. And I expect those to continue to help formulate this standardization. And they're extremely valuable to you know, sort of close any gap in variability. That being said, there I would assume that there would continue to be, at some degree, differences in how companies operate. That's what sort of makes us different companies. And I think that's okay, as long as at the end of the day, 
the FDA has the same confidence in the results that Coda would give as to another provider. And I think that's what they're trying to get more information on. I think that's where the standardization could help. Coda has an extremely robust quality management system to help ensure the collection and any transformation and creation of that subsequent sort of fit for purpose real world data set that'll be used in a given study. But, you know, to the extent that you know, other companies have the same or how do we, you know what I mean? How does the FDA interpret one data source over another? And once we get to the point where there's the same level of confidence in our response assessment as somebody else's, then I think that gap has been closed, right? And, so, and I think standard collaboration can help significantly to get us to that point. So you have to understand that when the FDA looks at a submission, you know, so it has to apply certain set of standards across the board, right? But different companies, I'm not sure how easy it's going to be to standardize across companies because to transform the data from a structured or an unstructured form to electronic records that can actually be mined for patents, there is a piece over there where you could have human abstraction, machine learning, natural language processing. And so the guidance does allude to, to what kind of standards are expected, you know, when you are using different kinds of transformation. And it would be nice if as real world data companies, we could form some kind of standards of how to do this transformation in the data, what kind of parameters we can set, if we can agree on collecting certain information from all patients, you know, how do we collect information, longitudinal data? How do we verify uh, that a patient was actually receiving the drug? You know, how do we quantify how long a patient was exposed to the drug? If we can, as real world data companies, standardize such information, I think that would be very beneficial for clinical research in general. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's something that certainly, you know, to Drew's point, it sounds like that the industry has been working towards and now with this guidance, right, maybe even more specific details to work towards as well, we're striving for here. So, I mean, I know we could talk about this document and this topic for hours on end, I'm sure. But as we're coming up on time here, you know, maybe I'll ask you know, Laura and CK to put on some of your former hats that you wore and think about, you know, now that this guidance is out there, right? Now the guidance is out there. It's not finalized yet, but it is quite detailed and it does provide, right, guardrails, recommendations. You know, maybe first Laura with your FDA hat, Drew with your CODA hat, and then CK with your clinician hat, right? What should each of these organizations really be thinking about moving forward, right? The next step or, you know, where should we focus the thinking and the efforts on? And maybe, Laura, I'll start with you. I feel as mentioned in the guidance, this is the first of many to be expected. And this guidance focuses on the data standards. You know, what is the kind of data quality that the FDA expects in a regulatory approval? I mean, this is a standard saying, right, where they say garbage in, garbage out. So if you know what is coming in, if you can trust the data, if you know it is robust, if you can audit it, if you can actually claim what the data is, what it says, then you can use it with utmost confidence, you know, to make a regulatory approval. And so I think the FDA is trying to set standards in saying that this is the kind of data quality that we want for a regulatory approval, you know. Subsequent guidances would focus on how we can use real, what kind of analysis methods, and that would be from a stats point of view. How do you account for different kinds of biases, you know? And so those are guidances that can be expected later. 
But as far as uh, data quality goes, we kind of have a bar of what to do and how to align ourselves in terms of generating high quality data for approvals. And I would say from a provider perspective, I would urge providers to think more globally and broadly on what the data that they're actually generating right, on a day-to-day basis is being used for. EHR data or clinical data was born out of the need to document, to support a billing code, for example, mm-hmm. right? And so I think historically clinicians who adopted EHRs nearly a decade ago, I think that their understanding of what that data is being used for is very different than the current potential use cases of the data that we're talking about. And so as a provider, I would urge first and foremost, I think healthcare providers as a whole to really think about the value that their clinical data holds to the entire uh, healthcare system, right? Now to think that data can help accelerate drug development and to help lives, that's very exciting. But more importantly for those clinicians, and that would be myself included, is back to Laura's garbage in, garbage out. The data originates from the healthcare providers. And I've been at fault at this too, but when I was in practice is the fact that I think it's important to really understand the need to document thoroughly, accurately, and completely. So I would say that from a provider's perspective, this is a, I would say a very novel use of data that we generate on a daily basis. And it's something that I would say 10 years ago, I would have never thought that something that I generate as a necessary part of my daily routine, right, would hold such promise when it comes to potentially, you know, helping to advance drug development. So I would say that the provider community should be very excited about this, but it is a big task for them to really change their systems of how they approach that data that they hold. I think, you know, for Coda and for real world data partners, you know, we sort of, you just heard from Laura and CK sort of at opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of, you know, the clinicians entering the data, the FDA reviewing the data at the furthest point downstream and Coda and real world data providers are somewhere in the middle, right? And so I think, this guidance is really critical. And I think what we as, you know, Coda and other real world data partners need to do is internalize it and really translate, recognizing what we're seeing on the clinician side. And now with this guidance, what we know the FDA's line of thinking is, and how can we most accurately get from point A to point B, right? And I think these recommendations help to provide a framework for that, recognizing that there's significant challenges and nuances within that, you know, and so I think that internalization is key. And then the next, it would be to collaborate and be really transparent about, you know, what our methodologies are and how we're collecting it. Because, you know, the benefit of this industry is that ultimately we can help you know, drugs get to patients faster. In order to do that and have the most confidence in it, we need to make sure that the data isn't garbage in, right? It's high quality data in, high quality data out, right? And so that's our charge as real world data partners. And that's certainly, you know, what CODA is doing. And I think this guidance is incredibly valuable, you know, as CK said, for the next year plus and in anticipation of the future guidances that Laura mentioned. So we need to make sure that the data that we're curating is the highest quality and most consistent possible such that when future guidances come, potentially about analytical methodologies, right, that we might use to best analyze this data, we have the best, highest quality, most fit for purpose data set that we possibly can at that point. Absolutely. 
Well, thank you all for these perspectives. I mean, I think they certainly generate as many questions as they answer. And I think that's always the good thing, right, about these discussions is there's always more to discuss. There's always more to think about. And, you know, Drew, I'll kind of just pick up on your last point there, right, about the need for collaboration. I mean, this is a conversation between four people who work at a data company. And what will be important over these upcoming few months, years, right, is to expand this conversation to other data providers, to, you know, clinicians, to sponsors, to, you know, engaging with the FDA on this, right, and providing responses to them on this as well, and continue discussion to figure out how do we really pave that last part of this road so that we have a good standardized way of providing data of being able to accelerate drug development, but making sure that, you know, to kind of Laura's first point that we hold to those original standards, because at the end of the day, it is about approving therapeutics that will hopefully impact, you know, a patient and a patient's journey through a certain illness. And so ultimately, that's what we're trying to do. We need to work towards that. And this guidance, I think, hopefully is just one more step, you know, towards being able to realize that. So thank you all for joining me today and for taking time to have this discussion and hope that we will all continue this conversation again soon. Thank you, Zoe. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Zoe. Yes, thank you, Zoe. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Real World Talk. For more episodes and to understand how we can all bring clarity to cancer care using real world data, please visit us at CodaHealthcare.com. We look forward to having you next time on Real World Talk.